Hello, welcome to Transform Podcast. My name is Andrew Farhat, pastor at St. John's Renewal, and I am here with special guest Phil Barnard from our school. He is the principal of our K through 8 school and ELC, that's Early Learning Center. You can find uh, information if you're interested in a school at sjdenverschool.org. And Phil, it's always great to have you. Thanks, Andrew. It's good to be here again. Um, uh, my mom, I just want to tell you this, my mom loves watching our podcast when you're on it. So there you go. That's the goal, isn't it? <laughs> as long as mom's happy, we're good. There we go, man. Uh, so our question for today, uh, Phil, is this. Why does believing in the Trinity matter for your life? Like, So that's a belief of the Christian faith. But why does it matter? Can I just believe in a higher power? Can I just believe in a generic God? Um, and so I guess to kind of get the ball rolling with this, Phil, is there a bit of mystery when it comes to our understanding of the Trinity? Like, I kind of have the feeling we are going to be able to tell our listeners what we know about it, what's been revealed. But is there a little bit of mystery with this as well? Yeah, sure. I think obviously when we're talking about the Trinity, we're talking about the Godhead, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, but part of the mystery is, you know, the Bible wasn't written as a science textbook to explain everything. Uh, so we don't see the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible. But what we pick up is there's kind of patterns throughout the scriptures that when we put those pieces together, it seems to give the idea that there are the Godhead exists in three separate unique people, but still existing as one. So it's, it is a bit of a mystery and it's difficult. And I kind of had to settle on the like, kind of sitting there thinking you can look at a two-dimensional picture and you can see it and you can get some of it. But it's not until you see something in three dimensions that you get the full experience and understanding of it. And I kind of feel in this life we might be looking at God in 2D a little okay. bit. And my belief and my hope would be that in heaven and in, in the afterlife when we get to see his face, we, it's almost like we switch to 3D. And things will make more sense then. That, that's where I've kind of had to settle with the Trinity a little bit. That's a pretty cool image. So 2D in this life, 3D when we get there and we see God face to face. Yes. Um, and then you also said that there's patterns in the scriptures mm -hmm. that lead us to the Trinity. Mm -hmm. But yet the word Trinity doesn't appear. Actually, it's the church father, uh, Tertullian, mm -hmm. who was the first who coined the, the word Trinity. Uh, but yet it is what Christians believe since the very beginning of Christianity. And some of those patterns are going to come from who uh, is Jesus and who is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to scratch the surface on that today in terms of being able to give all of the biblical citations. Uh, sure. But yet, if we were to read all 66 books of the Bible, this is the consensus of the mm -hmm. church, that the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll just kind of get the ball rolling with the Son, and then you jump in as you wish, Phil. Okay, so yeah, Jesus says, John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Yes. So he just says it, you know, that way. Um, and, and it is believed that the Father and the Son are co-equal mm -hmm. when it comes to their divine essence. Yes. So in other words, they share the same stuff, if you will. They are both equally divine. Uh, that's what Jesus, and then Jesus here is also claiming uh, unity with the Father, so they are also co-equal, mm -hmm. as we believe in that. Um, and then what I would also state is Jesus made some astonishing claims in the Gospels. 
when he had his famous I am statements. Yeah. The I am statements are significant because God the Father, way back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when he was speaking to Moses, said, I am is my name. Mm -hmm. So Moses is like, who will I tell the folks sent me mm -hmm. to them? And so he's looking for something. He's looking for a name from God. And God just says, tell them, I am, I am who I am. So then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the bread of life, the light of the world. Before Abraham existed, John 8, verse 58, I am. Mm -hmm. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. So he's making these claims. And then unlike all the other religious leaders who are pointing you to how to find salvation through God, he's saying, actually, I am here. Come, I, I am. Mm -hmm. Come to me. Not, here's how you do it, but rather, come to me, mm -hmm. and you're going to find salvation and the gift of eternal life in me. Mm -hmm. So, and then at the end of time, he makes this astonishing claim. And I think this is also something that's on another level. I am going to visibly return to be the judge. So, like, Mohammed didn't say that. Uh, you know, Moses never said that. Krishna never said that. Buddha never said that. Jesus is making some high-level claims. It's a pretty claims. big call. Yeah, and so, yeah, so he's making some high-level claims, and um, I may have shared this on a previous podcast where C.S. Lewis had his famous trilemma: he's either a liar, lunatic, or he's Lord. Yes, these are high-level claims. You don't just get to claim this stuff and be a good guy, or be a good He's teacher, not just a good person. yeah, or be a good prophet. So we have to investigate those claims, and then, and I would say too, just from my own personal testimony, I invested these, investigated these claims, and I found great evidence for the resurrection. And then in addition, I would say when you look at the life of Jesus and everything we know about Jesus, uh, man, you're seeing someone with love and compassion mm -hmm. and care for human beings. Um, you're looking at someone who backed up everything with mir miracles no one's done before mm -hmm. either. So he's walking on water, he's calming storms, he's raising the dead, he's making the blind see, he's making the deaf hear. He's doing things no one else has done. He's not doing stuff like a magician or an illusionist could do. Uh, so I got to the point where I just said, you know what? I believe him. Mm -hmm. I believe he is who he said he was. And so what I would tell you is this quote from Tim Keller really made a big impression on me. He says this, The founders of every major religion said, I'll show you how to find God. Jesus said, I am God who has come to find you. That was huge for me. When in my investigation of the facts when I was 19 years old, it's like, all right, man, Jesus this really stands out here mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and who he's claiming to be and, and how, what he's done. And then also, you know, I think every follower of Christ is going to have a significant personal experience with how he's come to find them as well. So that's what we would say is, has been revealed to us mm -hmm. about the divinity, divinity of the Son. But then, Phil, why believe that the Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and the Son? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think from my own experience, um, 
reading through scripture, I was always at peace with God the Father, and I was always at peace with God the Son in Jesus. That made sense to me. Personally, I struggled a little bit with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, it's what is this kind of, is it a force? Is it a thing? What is it? And then I um, was reading through what Jesus, how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. He says in John 14, chapter 16, when I leave, then I'm going to send you another helper um, or another comforter. And I dove into that a little bit. And, you know, the Greeks used, um, in the in the language that this was written in, the word for another, they can either use the word alos or they can use the word heteros. Um, and alos means another one of exactly the same kind. Or heteros means another one, but of a different kind. And the word Jesus used in here, he said, I'm going to send an alos helper. I'm going to send another one of exactly the same kind. What I realize Jesus is saying in this passage is that when he leaves earth, he's going to send another one just like him, which is the Holy Spirit. So it's a person. It's not a force or an it or anything like that. He is a person. He is just like Jesus. So everything that Jesus taught us, all the power that Jesus had, everything that Jesus was about, the Holy Spirit is going to come along and do that for us in our whole lives now. Um, and the word helper is just simply someone who comes alongside. It's a comforter. It's a guide. That word is a coach. That word is someone who helps you achieve what you need to achieve. Uh, for me, that was a game changer. That was Jesus himself, who I was already, already comfortable being God, saying that the Holy Spirit is going to be just like him. And he's going to be here to help me in my life and what I need to do. That's huge. And, I, and I've actually never heard that explanation of uh, the Greek in terms of the helper being one like the son. Mm -hmm. So that's really a uh, nice insight. And then, man, I think another thought that jumps out is like, what would happen if you go through life? without this helper, mm -hmm. but we, we, you know, uh, what would you be missing out on? And I think what we're going to do is we're going to find out a lot more towards the end. We're going to talk about the Father, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and I think one translation of helper is also friend too, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, so uh, let me tell you about my friend, yeah. Jesus is saying. Yeah, you know? the, the, the paracletos, the one who comes alongside. I kind of think like we have paramedics who are someone who come alongside the medics to help them do what they need to do. The paracletos is someone who comes alongside of us to help us do what we need to do. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like the son is saying the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to give power to my mission and he's mm -hmm. going to give power to you. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see happen in the first 30 years of church history recorded in the book of Acts, which is just church history. Yeah. And we see that helper in significant action in that book. Yeah. Um, and for me, that just kind of demystified the Holy Spirit a little bit. It helped me put, this is, this is Jesus. This is another version of Jesus just in our lives daily. Absolutely. And the scriptures do make it clear that he is not an it, mm -hmm. but he is a he. He's a person. And so a couple of places we see this is, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, the spirit gives you wisdom. So it's like, all right, can a it give you wisdom? Uh, or would that be more likely a person? Also, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, the spirit can be grieved. Mm -hmm. So a grief is an emotion mm -hmm. uh, that typically an it doesn't have, but a person has. Um, so those are some reasons. There's others. There's other citations I think we can... Uh, sight for belief in the Holy Spirit as a person. And then some places where we see all three members of the Trinity, Phil, are 
uh, Matthew 3, verses 16 through 17, at the baptism mm-hmm. of Jesus, you have the Father's voice. He's, and then it's, this is my beloved Son, mm-hmm. with whom I'm well pleased. And then you have the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Like a dove. And that definitely makes you think of creation, too, where the Spirit is hovering mm-hmm. uh, over the waters as well. Matthew 28, 19, we're the told to baptize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Great Commission. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then also, 2 Corinthians 13, 14 gives us Trinitarian the benediction. benediction. Um, and, and so those are some places where we see all three members of the Trinity at work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's, I think we just covered there, the Trinity as a concept. Uh, the Trinity is three persons, mm-hmm. Father, Son, and Spirit. So they're co-equal in divine essence. Uh, they're co-eternal. Uh, but yet they're three distinct persons. Um, now, I guess what I would ask, Phil, is if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed as a community of love from all eternity, what does that mean for ultimate reality in terms of love and relationships today? Yeah, I mean, I kind of think of it about, you know, before creation, what were the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit doing? Because at some point, this all didn't exist. What were they doing? It seems to be from the scriptures is they were in community and they were loving one another, which means if that's existed from pre the beginning of time and it's likely to exist until past, like, you know, the end of our time, that means that being in community and being loving towards one another seems to be the most important thing in existence. That's huge. Because when, when you look at the world, I think I see a lot of human beings that care a lot about love, acceptance, tolerance, treating each other with kindness, mm-hmm. uh, you know, us kind of staying out of each other's way. Uh, no one's really happy to go to war. I mean, we'd rather not go to war um, unless there's some, someone really evil that's kind of out of step. But then there's usually an outcry, you mm-hmm. know, that there's just some sort of unjust war going on out there. Uh, and, and even those who have a doctrine of war still would admit it's a last resort, you know. Um, yeah, it's in order to achieve a higher principle. Right. And so um, also you see a lot about human rights and all of this. And I guess I would say, man, for me, this looks like a significant contribution mm-hmm. to our understanding of human rights and love and why we're wired um, in this fashion. Um, Timothy Keller says it this way. He says, instead of self-centeredness, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are characterized in their very essence by mutually self-giving love. And then some scriptures he points to are John 3, verse 35, where it says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So there's a clear um, other, other-centeredness mm-hmm. in the Father giving the Son all things into his hand. And then Jesus says this in his famous high priestly prayer. You can find this in John 17. He says, I brought glory to you, Father, here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So he's looking, the Son is looking to give glory to the Father, mm-hmm. not necessarily to himself there. So he's others-centered. Um, so I guess for me, um, I think this is significant because we live in a world uh, where we know that this is, I think we know this is the best way to go in our relationships. And we see it in marriages. 
when there's the ability to be selfless versus mm-hmm. selfish, t- tends to go better. Families, parenting, um, selfless versus selfish, every dinner goes better. Vacations <laughs> go better. Everything Put goes on the better. Fest. Yeah, uh, probably relationships with in-laws. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I can think of a sphere of life where um, unselfishness is a better approach. No, it works in every every aspect. And I think going back to what does it mean for reality, I, you know, it kind of answers the question like, why are we here? And I look at it and you go, well, I believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had such a have such an incredible relationship happening, have such a beautiful thing happening that's built on love. Therefore, the most loving thing that they could do would be to invite other beings into this relationship. So there's the yeah. three of them that have got this peak love and they go, how can I, how can I add to this? And I'm going to create beings to join into this love. It's an incredible love and thing. It's kind of like a marriage, you know, and family. Families shouldn't start when the kids arrive. Families start when husband and wife get together. And they should have such a wonderful relationship that they go, how do we build on this relationship? Let's invite more people into it. So we have children and we invite them into the love that's already there. And I think that's kind of reminiscent of, of what happened with creation. Yeah, absolutely. So that's huge. So the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, awesome, sinless, beautiful community existing from all eternity. Yeah. And then they include us. Yeah. They and include us in it. With infinite love, what's the most infinite loving thing I can do? Create people to join in this love. This is a cool exercise. I encourage you to to do it and our listeners as well. Check out Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter Mm 2 and write down all of the things that it says about us when we receive Christ. What we have in here. And it's like mind-blowing. I did this exercise on Monday night this week. And I was pumped up, man. It was yeah. like, man, I'm loved, I'm saved, I'm chosen, I'm blessed, I'm predestined, I'm In sealed him. with the Holy Spirit. Yep. It's like, this is amazing. So, Phil, when you think about love and where we get meaning uh, to love um, on this earth in our relationships, I think if we're atheists, we would say, yeah, there's a, there's a feeling of love that we certainly experience towards others. But I think without an understanding of the Trinity um, and God being love, I think we're just left with scientific explanations of love. But I guess, do all of those scientific explanations of the emotion of love, do they do justice to love in your mind? Well, it becomes difficult if, if love is just a chemical reaction in your brain or if love is just a way for you to stay alive or pass on your genes or something like that. I think it gives parts, it doesn't give the whole. It doesn't give the real deep meaning. We can add all those together, but yeah. the, the reference point is God and love and it's, it's an infinite reference point. Absolutely. I think I agree with you 100%, because it's like, there's deep feeling, there's deep emotion, there's deep connection and vicarious participation and um, there's also great feelings of grief and loss when mm-hmm. there's somebody who you lose in life too. So I would say, man, if, if all we have is chemical reactions to explain the complexity and depth of that psychology, man, I'm not, I'm not buying it. Mm. 
Thank you for tuning in today. And if you have been blessed by this podcast, we want to encourage you to share it with somebody who could also benefit from it. We invite you to uh, follow us wherever you podcast. If you do have a question you'd like for us to answer, you could submit that to hello at sjdenver.org. And we'll see you next time. Take care.